0: I want to give you a special welcome to the telecast today. I'm very proud of a special member of my congregation. His name is Blake Wexler. Would you please come, Blake? Blake is a a member of this Christian congregation. And today we're going to talk about the
1: Jewish Messiah. We're going to use a Jewish book. Okay, 24 starts. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one the ruler comes there will be seven sevens and sixty two sevens it will be rebuilt with streets and a trench but in times of trouble after the sixty two sevens the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing the people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him.
0: Amen. And may the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you Blake. The topic today is infidels defeated at a carpenter's baptism. This is the ninth in our series on the book of Daniel. and So we've come now to Daniel chapter nine, which is the most important chapter in the book of Daniel. Would you please notice Daniel nine, And verse 1, Daniel chapter 9, verse 1, In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord, given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. Babylon has now gone. There's a new king ruling over this empire. It's interesting when we study chronology that Daniel received the prophecy concerning the coming of the great Messiah, the prince, during the same year when he was thrown into the den of lions. He is now old, old man. One great scholar said, often, great trials and great blessings go together. And so when he's an old man, he's thrown into the den of lions because of his faith in God. But during this same year, he receives the great vision concerning the coming of the Messiah. Would you please read on with me as we go through this chapter? In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. It's significant that even though Daniel was a prophet, he still read the scriptures. He didn't say, well, God's going to show it to me in a vision. Like his Lord, even the Lord Jesus Christ studied the scriptures. And the knowledge that our Lord had of the scriptures was not because of any miracle. It was because of his diligence in reading the Bible. I came from a society when I was a little boy where lots of people read the scriptures I told you folks some weeks back that I went back to where I was born, where I was brought up, went back to a tiny, tiny little town called Somerset in Queensland, outside Brisbane. That's where they have today the Somerset Dam. I thought my father built it, but he he hoped to build it. But beside the dam, there's a little town called Somerset. When I was a tiny little boy, these things stick in your mind. I can remember my mother and my father taking me to the home of Mr. and Mrs. Snow. It's amazing. Came back to my mind, Mr. and Mrs. Snow. And I can see it in my mind today as though it were yesterday. A big pine. Board, table, in the kitchen, scrubbed white and clean. You folks know what I'm talking about? Pine wood scrubbed, nice and clean. And at the head of the table was Mr. Snow with his wife seated beside him. At around the table, all of their children. They had a lot of children. It was a big table. They had a big family. I can remember Mr. Snow when we went to visit him sitting at the head of of the table like a patriarch, reading the Bible to the family. Can I tell you something? Society would be a lot better today if we had more Mr. and Mrs. Snows, where people got together with the children and they read to them the sacred words of the Bible. Now this man is in a time of great perplexity and almost discouragement. And God says to him, well, I'm not going to tell you anything. I'm not going to give you any more visions until you read the Scriptures. And so he reads from the book of Jeremiah. And obviously he's reading from Jeremiah 25, verse 11. Would you please come to there, Jeremiah 25 and verse 11. Because he understood from the books. Jeremiah 25, verse 11. This whole country will become a desolate wasteland. And these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. And so Jerusalem was made desolate by the king of Babylon for a period of 70 years. And now Babylon has gone down. And so the prophet in lonely exile in the city of Babylon in the land of Iraq thinks. When is God going to give us deliverance? And when can we go home? And so he turns to the prophet and he turns to Jeremiah and Jeremiah says, yes, 70 years. Would you please read on now in Daniel chapter 9 and verses 3 and uh, onwards. Daniel 9, verse 3 and onwards So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. Now please notice with me the prayer of Daniel. O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We've been wicked and have rebelled. WE'VE TURNED AWAY FROM YOUR COMMANDS AND LAWS. WE'VE NOT LISTENED TO YOUR SERVANTS THE PROPHETS WHO SPOKEN YOUR NAME TO OUR KINGS, OUR PRINCES AND OUR FATHERS AND TO ALL THE PEOPLE OF THE LAND. LORD, YOU ARE RIGHTEOUS, BUT THIS DAY WE ARE COVERED WITH SHAME. THE MEN OF JUDAH AND THE PEOPLE OF JERUSALEM AND ALL ISRAEL, BOTH NEAR AND FAR, IN ALL THE COUNTRIES WHERE YOU HAVE SCATTERED US BECAUSE OF OUR UNFAITHFULNESS TO YOU, O LORD, We and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We've not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you therefore the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of moses the servant of god have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you you have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us For the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. Yet we have not obeyed him. Why was Jerusalem destroyed? I want you to think about this. Jerusalem was destroyed because of the sins of the people. The Bible tells us that the children of Israel... Broke the covenant. Now, God made a covenant with His people, the children of Israel. And God said, If you obey my covenant, you're going to be blessed. And if you disobey my covenant, disaster is going to come upon you. Do we ever think, my friends, here in this blessed land of America, that we as a nation and as a church, and as individuals can lose the blessing of God. Do we ever think when disaster comes upon us as a church or as a nation or as individuals, do we ever think this disaster may be because I have broken the covenant? I'm going to tell you something very interesting. THAT ANCIENT COVENANT WAS TIED UP WITH THE SABBATH. GOD SAID TO HIS PEOPLE, I WANT YOU TO KEEP THE SABBATH, BECAUSE IT'S THE SIGN OF OUR RELATIONSHIP. JUST BETWEEN US, GOD SAID TO HIS PEOPLE. AND BECAUSE THE PEOPLE BROKE THE COVENANT, GOD SAID, I'M GOING TO GIVE YOU A LOT OF SABBATHS, AND THE LAND IS GOING TO KEEP THE SABBATHS. AND SO HE GAVE THEM A TIME OF PUNISHMENT, For 70 years. Would you notice Leviticus 26 verse 33 and onwards. Leviticus 26 and verse 33 and onwards. And this is significant particularly when we think how little people care about the Sabbath today. Leviticus 26, 33 and onwards. I will scatter you among the nations and will draw out my sword and pursue you your land will be laid waste and your cities will lie in ruins. Then the land will enjoy its Sabbath years all the time that it lies desolate and you are in the country of your enemies. Then the land will rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. All the time that it lies desolate, the land will have the rest it did not have during the Sabbaths you lived in it. Listen, I want to tell you folks something. In the center of the world, God placed his people, Israel, the very center of the world. The Bible says it was the navel of the earth. In the center of the world, God had a nation, Israel. In the center of Israel, God had a city, Jerusalem. In the center of Jerusalem, God had a temple, the sanctuary. In the center of the temple, there was the holy place. And even more in the center, if that's grammatically correct. There was the most holy place. In The center of the world, Israel, Jerusalem, the temple. The holy places. The most holy place. In the center of the most holy place, there was an ark. The ark of God. In the center of the ark of God, the Ten Commandments. In the center of the Ten Commandments, there is a word. Remember. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. That was a part of the covenant. That the people of God, like the people of God today, said it doesn't matter whether we keep this old Sabbath or not. But the Sabbath was the covenant because it told the people that God made them. God was first, to be first in their lives. But the people of God back there, like the people of God today, broke the covenant. That is why the theologian Karl Barth used the statement, when the holy day becomes the day of man, society and humanity wither away and the demons rule. Now, I do not wish to talk about the situation in the United States of America specifically but we talk about the problems we're facing and we fail to realize that the reason we have almost all of our problems is because we have broken the everlasting covenant like the children of Israel. And Daniel said, because we have broken the everlasting covenant, all these disasters have come upon us. As it was, so it is today. Please read on in Daniel chapter 9. Please read on verse 15 and onwards. Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourselves a name that endures to this day, we have sinned, we have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn. Those around us. When you read through this magnificent prayer, there are two great truths that come through, and these truths are the foundation of Christianity. Number one, the depravity of man, and number two, the mercy of God. And Daniel says, Have mercy upon us, not because we are righteous, but because you are righteous and because you are merciful. And so when you read the story of Israel, you read the story of apostasy, and when apostasy comes, God always uses a nation worse than Israel to punish Israel. Don't forget that one. When we sin against God, and break the covenant as a nation or as a church or as individuals, God will raise up people who are worse than we are to chastise us and to bring us back to God. This is the word of the Lord. This is why the prophet was, was weeping and praying and fasting because he realized That the desolation of his land was because of the sin of his people he was no Pharisee he said we have sinned against you he didn't say these people have sinned against you he said we have sinned against you and this man who is a great saint of God Daniel 9 verse 20 while I was speaking and praying confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I'd seen in the earlier vision, that's the one, Daniel 8, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. Pause for a moment. This man who was interceding for his people receives the angelic visitation at the time of the evening sacrifice it's at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And now he receives the vision of the coming of the Lamb of God who would die for the sins of the world at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The time of the evening sacrifice in Jerusalem. Verse 22, he instructed me, this is Gabriel, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given which I've come to tell you for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. This vision is probably the greatest vision in all of the New Testament, there is nothing really, perhaps, Isaiah 53 is equal to it. But this is a prophecy about the coming of the Jewish Messiah. Please notice the verse that Blake read to us, verse 24 77, 70 weeks are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now, notice over here at the blackboard. I've written up what I believe to be the truth. The view that was taught once by all of the Christian churches, all of them. And God says, I'm going to give to Israel 77s, which is a period of 490 years. That's total. And God says during that time, some great events are going to take place. Now, God said, I've given to Israel 70 years. They failed to keep the Sabbath. Therefore, they're going to have 10 Sabbaths of years. The whole issue here, my friend, was over a, a, whether a person was going to be true to God and the covenant or not. And so the judgment came firstly for 70 years. But the children of Israel were still uncircumcised in their hearts. And so God said, now I'm not going to give you 70 years, but I'm going to give you 70 by 7. 490 years. And this will be Israel's last call. This will be Israel's last opportunity. And God said through the prophet Gabriel during this period of 490 years, something marvelous and wonderful would happen. He said, 70 by 7, 490 years are determined. Now, listen those who are theologians. The word determined here is an ancient word that means cut off. The word is kithak, and it means cut off. I don't have time today to talk about the 2300 years, but a host of commentators, a host of them, believed and believed that this time period is cut off from the larger time period of Daniel 8 because Daniel 9 is the explanation of Daniel 8. But during this time period, God says, I will finish the transgression. The word transgression there means high-handed sin. He says, I will put an end to sin. The word sin there means to miss the mark. We've all missed the mark. He says, I will atone for wickedness. The word for wickedness is guilt or offense. I will atone. And that same word is used about 50 times in the book of Leviticus that talks about the atoning sacrifice. And so during this time period, there would be an atoning sacrifice He says, I will bring in everlasting righteousness. I will seal up the vision and the prophecy and I will anoint the most holy place. I would suggest to you, my beloved friends, nowhere in holy scripture do we receive such mighty promises as we have here. How would you like to receive everlasting righteousness? How would you like to have an atonement made for your sins, your guilt? How would you like to see everlasting righteousness cover the earth from sea to shining sea? How would you like to see a most holy place anointed and everything brought to a glorious end? How the heart of the prophet must have beat with joy. He would have thought, well, the 70 years are coming to an end, but now we're going to have another period of time, but God is going to do something and he's going to bring in everlasting righteousness and he will make an atonement for the sins of the world. It is a grand and a glorious verse. And please notice the next verse, if you don't mind, that Blake read so very well. Verse 25. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the Anointed One, the Ruler, comes There'll be seven sevens and sixty two sevens. Please concentrate on this. He says there is going to be a decree, and from that time period, there are going to be four hundred and eighty three years. That's what it says. You just work it out for yourself. All those sevens and the 62 and all of that stuff, you just work it out. You've got 69 sevens, 62 sevens, and seven sevens, 69 sevens. You multiply that by seven, and it comes to 483. Now, for my beloved Jewish friends who are watching the telecast, let me tell you this, because you should know this if you know your Hebrew. When it says the anointed one's going to come, That's the word for the Messiah. Did you know that? The anointed one it means Messiah. When Jesus came, they said, is he the, the anointed one? He's the Messiah. They wondered whether he was, because they were expecting the Messiah to come. Now, as you will know, Jerusalem had been made desolate. It had been devastated by the armies of the Babylonians. Then there came a king by the name of Cyrus the Great and he made a decree. I want you to keep your finger there. If you lose the place, it doesn't matter. We'll be back. Come with me to Ezra chapter 6 and verse 14. Ezra chapter 6. It's a book on history. Ezra chapter 6. Dear friends. And verse 14. Ezra 6, verse 14. So the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah, a descendant of Idol. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And what happened was this that Cyrus made a decree, but it was not consummated until the coming of a Persian king by the name of Artaxerxes Longimanus. And in the year, this is history. One of the greatest scholars of the 20th century was my friend Dr. Siegfried Horn, the famous German archaeologist. Not a good scholar, one of the greatest scholars in the world. He worked with the great Professor Foxwell Albright, the greatest archaeologist of the 20th century. And when they asked Professor Albright, What was your great discovery? he said, Siegfried Horn. And Siegfried Horn became the greatest authority on this portion of history. And uh, there is no question that the decree of Artaxerxes Longimanus went forth in 457 B.C. I know it is true. I've had the privilege of studying under Siegfried Horn. And if you add 483 years onto 457, it brings you through to the year 27 A.D. And what happened in 20? Now, this is a great question for the earnest Jewish man. It is a great question for the atheist and the unbeliever. Now, let me give you history because we don't have time to go into this into detail. But the New Testament has a book that is written by a doctor, Dr. Luke. And in Luke chapter 3, we have an independent and reliable witness. And Luke chapter 3 says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, and the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, according to Jewish reckoning, listen, the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, in Luke chapter 3 and verse 1, according to Jewish reckoning, is 27 A.D. What happened in 27 AD? The Bible tells us in that same chapter, now Jesus began to be about 30 years of age. Around 30 years of age. And Jesus, who had lived his life in obscurity in a little town in Galilee, came to John the Baptist down at the river Jordan, and he said, John, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Baptize me. And the Spirit of God came down in power upon Jesus. Jesus was revealed to Israel and to the world in 27 AD. Now, the skeptic says that Jesus is just A carpenter but if Jesus is just a carpenter then every infidel is defeated at a carpenter's baptism because this prophecy proves the Bible true and it proves that Jesus is the Son of God I say to my Jewish friends I say this to you in courtesy I say it to you in love You do not need to wait for the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah came almost 2,000 years ago. According to the writing of the Jewish prophet Daniel, it is a word of the Lord. Now, this great chapter goes on to tell us other great truths. Would you notice verse 26 and 27? After the 62 sevens, the anointed one, the Messiah, will be cut off and will have nothing. The word cut off is a word that is used often in the Bible to mean murdered, killed, murdered. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until when the end Desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now listen as you've never listened before. You need to know this. The Bible says that the Messiah nowhere in scripture is it says that antichrist makes a covenant. Never. But Jesus said this is the blood of the new covenant. Jesus made a covenant. You have one week remaining here my beloved friends. One week and if you add a week onto this you come through to the year 34 AD. But in the middle of this week, the Bible says the Messiah would put an end to the sacrifice and the offering. Why? Because he would be cut off. When Jesus hung on the cross, he was the dying Lamb of God. And at three o'clock in the afternoon, The priest was about to slay the lamb. And at that very moment, our Lord, in 31 AD, our Lord cried out at 3 o'clock, It is finished. And as he died, the, the great veil between the holy place and the most holy place was torn Not from bottom to top, but from top to bottom. The little lamb ran away because God said, your sacrifices now will be worth naught because you have crucified the Son of God. The apostles continued to preach for another three and a half years and on, but in 34 AD they sealed the children of Israel up their cup of iniquity by killing Stephen. And God raised up a man and said, now the gospel will go to the Gentiles and Israel ceased to be, the Israel of the flesh ceased to be the chosen holy people of God In 34 AD, God gave them another three and a half years. And then the Bible says the people of the prince who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary because they crucified the Son of God. The Romans came and they still said their prayers. We are the holy people of God. Messiah will come and save us. A million died in the siege of Jerusalem. The prophecy says wars will continue to the end and Jerusalem has never had peace since it crucified the Prince of Peace. Israel is no longer of prophetic significance. Because God has a new Israel. The Bible tells me in the book of Galatians and in the book of Romans that if I believe in Christ, then I'm counted for Abraham's seed. The Bible says, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, male nor female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you have faith, Then you are Abraham's seed. God has a new Israel. It's not over in Palestine. God has an Israel that's made up of Americans and Russians and Jews and Arabs and Frenchmen and Englishmen who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the Israel of God. Now let me tell you briefly about the counterfeit. 95% of evangelical Christians who have tremendous influence even in the halls of your government they believe the counterfeit over here they have, over here they have 483 years. They say that finishes at Calvary, and then they put a gap of thousands of years, and they have the last seven. And you say, but that doesn't seem logical. Of course, it's not. You say, but they must have texts for it. No they haven't. They say that the power that makes the covenant is not Jesus, it's Antichrist and after this long period of time right here the rapture takes place. Oh it's a glorious doctrine. The people who are really into the prosperity gospel love the doctrine of the rapture because they say, well, we're going to miss out on all the trouble. We're just going home to heaven. This is a great religion. Yeah, we're we're just going to be more prosperous, but we're not going to go through any time of trouble. The Bible says the great time of trouble comes before the second coming. So they've got all the saints raptured home to glory. That Antichrist rules for three and a half years and the Jews rebuild the temple. Did you know that in Texas and other parts of America there are heaps and heaps of evangelical Christians who have already made the furniture for the temple? Did you know that? They say, we're going to rebuild the temple and Antichrist is going to come... And he's going to stop the sacrifices. Then he rules for another three and a half years, and Jesus comes back again. This is called the gap theory. You say, but you know, a lot of people believe it. Yeah, I know they do. A lot of people believe in Sunday keeping. Oh, I say, well, that's taught in the no, it's not taught in the Bible. A lot of people believe that God is so bad that he's the biggest terrorist of all because he's going to burn people for billions of years. That makes bin Laden a saint. They make God a terrorist. God has going to cook and burn people for millions and millions and millions of years. This is what they believe. There's another book being put out called The Dumbing Down of America. You know what it means? Hey, I don't read anything, I don't say anything, I don't I close my ears to anything that is against what I think. Maybe what you're thinking is wrong. Maybe you're gonna get the mark of the beast. So people say, is Bible prophecy really relevant? You better believe it. Because this view here is going to take away the liberties of the people. It's gonna bring about the mark of the beast. This doctrine over here is going to take away our sins. What would you rather have? Can you see why sometimes, I must admit it, I get frustrated when I talk to lots of people because they don't seem to know the truth of the Bible, they're afraid to read it, afraid to study it. Of course, if you think you've got the Holy Spirit and that's proved by the fact that you can talk in tongues, you don't need to know any of this anyhow, do you? It sort of makes the truth irrelevant. Would you come over here to Matthew 21? Now I'm not saying any of these things to, to offend you, but I am saying some of these things because I do hope that some of you will start to wake up and do some thinking. Matthew 21 Verse 37, this is the parable that Jesus gave. Last of all, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir, come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. That's Jesus. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what would he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end. They replied, And he will rent the vineyard out to other tenants. Other tenants, it's the Christian church. And he will give his share of the crop at harvest time. Uh, Who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time? Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone? The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. In verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. You say to me, what's going to happen over in the Middle East? I can tell you. It's going to get worse. You know why? Because of the blood of Jesus. There's no peace without the blood of Jesus. There's no peace in your home. There's no peace in your life. There's no peace in the church. There's no peace in the world but for the blood of Jesus. God has got a new Israel. That's why you find that, you know, you don't find that I get mixed up in politics. It's not the solution. It's not the solution. There's no solution, my friend, in the Middle East because the Middle East crucified the Son of God. There's no peace anywhere in the world until Jesus comes into our hearts. That's the truth of the matter. And that great prophecy, which says, 70 weeks are determined, to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to bring an everlasting righteousness. That was fulfilled when Jesus died. If I come to Jesus in true faith, my sins are forgiven. Is that good? Jesus makes an atoning sacrifice. He made it for me on the cross. My sins are forgiven. He brings in everlasting righteousness. That means I stand on the side of a holy God as though I'd never sinned. I have everlasting righteousness. I have it now. But many theologians have pointed out that what Jesus did on the cross, he's going to consummate at the second coming. Wouldn't you like to live in a world where there's no more sin? Where there's no more evil? There's no more terrorists? There's no more crime? No more heartaches? No more cancers? Wouldn't you like to live in a world like that? Wouldn't you like to live in a world I will bring in everlasting righteousness where every person is honest? You try doing business today, Godness me, you got to get up early in the morning. The day is coming when everybody who lives in this world is going to be righteous. That's going to happen when Jesus comes. And the only way that you and I can be ready when Jesus comes is by coming to the Messiah. Has it ever dawned upon you to ask this question? How could it be that the people who had the prophecies killed the Son of God? How could it be the most religious people in the world? They killed God's Son. They killed God. It tells me something. That I need to walk humbly before God. I need to seek God. I don't want to walk in the footsteps of the people who killed Jesus. I want to open my heart to him. I want to confess my sins to him. I don't want to be a hypocrite to you. I want Christ in my life. I want to be the real thing because I have the real Christ. Think about it. Shall we pray? Dear Father... As we study Scripture, we can see very, very plainly that Jesus, the Jewish carpenter, is the Messiah, the Son of God. We thank you that when He came, by His death, He brought an everlasting righteousness. He sealed up the vision and prophecy, He anointed the most holy place that was the heavenly sanctuary. He made an end of sin. And he gave us forgiveness. Today, our Father, we do not want to be caught up with false religion. We want to be caught up with you. Teach us, dear Father, like Daniel, to search the scriptures. Teach us, our Father, today, to have a heart-to-heart experience with the Christ who died for us. Our Father, hasten the day when what happened on the cross will be consummated when Jesus returns, that there'll be no more sin, there'll be no more pain, there'll be no more sorrow, but every person in the world will be honest because righteousness will cover the earth from sea to shining sea. We thank you today we belong to a big, new family of Israelites, Jews, and Arabs, and Russians, and Americans, and New Zealanders, and Englishmen, and Frenchmen, and Germans, and Chileans, and Mexicans, that the Israel of God It's not in Palestine, but the Israel of God is where the church is. We thank you for the privilege of being a part of your greatly enlarged family that is under the blood of the Messiah. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.